know what species of tree is the world's tallest trees? Redwoods, yeah, and we don't live that far away from them, right? How many of you have been on the redwood forest? And uh, it's beautiful to see those trees, some of those towering up to 300 feet. I mean, you look at those and just look at the massive trunk and go, whoa, this is just incredible that God would foresee redwood trees. I mean, those are just gorgeous. The tree used to be able to drive through until it got burnt down, right? But I mean, there's some beautiful things in the redwood forest. But, you know, there is another tree that is a rival to the redwood tree. Maybe you didn't know this. And it's called the shepherd's tree. You find it in South Africa. Now, it doesn't look very tall. I understand. In fact, in its height, it only goes about 20 to 30 feet. But that's what you see. What's amazing about the shepherd's tree is what you don't see, that which lies beneath. In fact, if you were to look at the root system of a shepherd's tree, it would look something like this. It is about, well, several times longer in the root system than it actually is in the tree. And if you actually took the length, roots and all, of the shepherd's tree and stacked it up to a redwood tree, they would be very comparable in their size because this tree has got some significant roots. Now, I want you to think that, see that picture and capture that for a moment, the depth of those root systems that brings stability and nutrients to that tree. And I want to bring you to um, Oregon, not necessarily Africa, but some of you recall back in 2007, we had a, a pretty catastrophic storm on the Oregon coast that caused some significant floodings. There were very high winds. I mean, the winds got up to 150 miles per hour on the coast and through that whole valley and caused some flooding and caused a lot of devastation. And, and I remember uh, driving with some friends and Trisha, we were heading to a minister's meeting over at Seaside shortly after the effects of this storm. And uh, the storm was in December. We were heading over there in January. And I remember driving on Highway 26 almost to 101 and looking out on the side of the highway and seeing all these massive trees just toppled over. And you saw these fallen trees with the entire root system sticking up out of the ground that looks something like the picture that you see on the screen. And uh, why does this happen? Why do these trees have such narrow roots? Because in Oregon especially, we get a little bit of that stuff that comes from the sky called rain, and it's pretty plentiful at the Oregon coast, and, and because the root system can find lots of nutrients and water very close to the surface, those roots don't have to go very deep, right? But here's the problem. When a significant storm comes, it topples those trees over because the roots are not deep. And this is my concern, friends, for, for, for Christians today. Are we a shepherd's tree with roots that are synced deeply into the faith that we have in Christ Jesus, into the truth of the gospel? Or are we kind of like some of our Oregon coast trees whose roots are very shallow? And so when a storm of life comes, it threatens to topple, or maybe it has toppled your tree. Or even when false doctrine comes, which is all around us, by the way, friends, there's all kinds of false teaching that sounds very Christianish all around us that is taking people and toppling their faith. And my prayer for us as a church is that we would be people like the shepherd's tree whose roots go down deep and hold into the truth that we have in the gospel because false teaching abounds. In fact, 
Um, many of you, as you even listen to um, some friends talk, or maybe you have a certain book author you like to read, you see how easy that false teaching gets infiltrated that sounds very Christian. But there are false doctrines that abound about how we're saved and how we keep our salvation. There are false doctrines that abound concerning sexuality and gender issues. There are false doctrines that, that kind of blend kind of cultural realities. We have to kind of embrace culture in some areas and, and to really show the love of Jesus. We have to embrace and be very accepting of those kinds of things. And, and you can hear this teaching just about everywhere. And my concern is that we don't have our roots deep enough to distinguish truth from a lie. And this was Paul's concern for the church at Colossae as well. He was concerned that perhaps the roots of these believers have not been set deep enough to weather the infiltration of false teachers who had come into this young church and began to teach heretical teachings about Jesus, about returning to the law. Uh, scholars aren't really sure exactly what the false teaching was, but it had, to de- it had to either do with going back to the law and doing a Jesus plus kind of religion where you need Jesus plus something else to be saved, or maybe it was a, a religion that empty Jesus of his fullness, of his power, that you need something else besides Jesus to truly be saved. And that was his concern. And and as we look at the book of Colossians, the whole purpose behind this was that Epaphras, who was the pastor of that church, Epaphras had been uh, discipled by Paul. He knew the truth of the gospel about Jesus. And when these false teachers came in, Epaphras knew this was not true teaching. He, he knew because he was rooted in the truth of Christ Jesus. And so he leaves the church into the hands of some capable leaders that he's discipled, and he goes to Rome to visit Paul and to update Paul on how things are going. And he shares with Paul this infiltration of false teachers. And so Paul immediately dictates a letter to be sent by some of his own friends to go back to Colossa with some encouragement for this church. And the good news was the church hadn't yet fully bought into the false teaching. They had faith in Christ that had been taught them by Epaphras, but they were potentially able to be subject to the false teachers if they don't continue to grow in the truth about Jesus. And so this letter really is an encouragement to stay rooted in Christ and in all areas of life. So Paul encourages them to stay rooted deeply in the truth that is in Christ Jesus. I want to talk about today the truth that is in Christ and what it means for us as Christians today to really sink our roots into what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Now, if you have your Bibles today, you can go to Colossians chapter 2. If you use a smart device, Uh, the Bible app, or maybe you want to go to our website, albanync.org, and go to message notes, and there's a spot there you can follow along. We encourage you to do that. But here's his instruction from Colossians 2, starting at verse 1. He says, I want you to know how hard I am contending for you and for all of those at Laodicea and for all who have not met me personally. My goal is that they may be encouraged in heart And united in love, so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I tell you this so that no one may deceive you with fine-sounding arguments. For though I am absent from you in body, I am present with you in spirit and delight to see how disciplined you are. 
and how firm your faith in Christ is. Verse 6, so then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in Him, rooted and built up in Him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught and overflowing with thankfulness. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world rather than on Christ. And so Paul writes now, moving into the kind of the body of his letter, after his introduction of, of his praise to, uh, on behalf of God for their faith and, and some instruction, now he begins to move into the meat of the, of the letter, which is, I know there's false teachers, let me help you understand how to stay rooted in Christ in the midst of this. And so he says, I'm contending for you. Now the reality is Paul has never met many of these people. But he says, I'm with you in spirit, and I'm contending personally for you here in prison, but I'm also contending through this writing with those false teachers, that you might stay strong in the faith. And his concern that he has there is still a great concern. I think Paul would speak through the ages today and say, church, listen up, I'm contending for you because false teaching abounds. And how will you know truth from a lie? And maybe that's my my question for us as we consider this Colossians 2 passage. How will you be able to discern if something you are hearing is true or false? As a follower of Jesus, how would you know? You know, the, the truth is we have a lot of information today. In fact, we have information overload. I mean, you can receive all kinds of teaching about spiritual things just by Googling. Very quickly, you'll find a lot of opinion, a lot of information um, through TV, through social media, through free ebooks. And friends, by the way, just because it's under Christian in uh, your ebook store, doesn't mean it's gospel-based, all right? Uh, And when you're reading things and when you're hearing things, how can you know if this is truth? How can you know that this is truth that is rooted in Christ? And do you know that? You know, I I think one of the ways that, that, that we can best discern if something is false is to be totally immersed in and have experience in what is true. In fact, for those of you who maybe work in the financial industry as bankers, or maybe you work as a cashier, there, there is a way to, to know if a bill is real or counterfeit, right? And we have a lot of counterfeit issues in our county right now. How do we know what is real and what is counterfeit? Well, what I've heard once, and I don't know if this is true, I've never worked at a bank, um, but what I heard once is that the best way to train a banker, a teller, to know if cash is real or fake is to have them handle the real thing enough that they know the feel. When something that does not feel right passes through their hand, they check it out and examine it because it could be counterfeit. And so enough experience with the real helps you guard against that which is false. And my concern for the church today is, are we the kind of people who can say, I have enough experience in, and I'm rooted in Christ enough that when something comes across my eyes or my ears, I can call it out for what it is, that I know it is false. And my concern is, we don't have a lot of Christians in that position. And so any wind of doctrine that comes, they believe, and they buy into, and it causes... uh, 
problems in the church. It, it causes your own faith to become shaken. Some of you have heard very great arguments even against the Christian faith, and you're not rooted enough in your own faith to stand against those. And I want to draw your attention back to our You Asked For It series. If you're, if you're in that place, we dealt with a lot of questions in the You Asked For It series that helps to arm us as believers to stand in what we know to be true based on the, the Bible, based on, on the gospel. But just like a banker would know the difference between false and real by touch, by experience enough with the real thing, we as Christians can do the same. But do you have enough experience in what is the truth? And here's the good news. Our truth is not some philosophy, okay? Our truth is not some kind of static doctrine. Our truth is a person, and his name is Jesus. Isn't that what he said? He said in John 14, 6, that I am the way the truth, and the life. So if you want to know truth as God defines truth, we find it personified in Jesus. And in his life and in his ministry and in his teaching, we see truth. So it's not something that we necessarily have to read a lengthy document about and try to memorize these tenets, although I'm I'm for knowing some of those things. He's a person, and he wants to reveal himself to you, and he wants you to grow rooted in him so that you know when somebody tries to pitch you something different than him. He's a person that we can have relationship with. And in this passage, Paul is trying to help the Colossians understand that everything that we need for spiritual life and health is found in a relationship with Christ alone. There is no Additive. You know, false teaching usually has a Jesus plus kind of uh, teaching to it. If you're looking for false doctrine or false teaching today, it's pretty easy to determine it in a couple of ways. One is some kind of teaching that Jesus alone is not enough, that you need something else. And so in some doctrines, it might be further revelation from some kind of spiritual leader of that denomination who speaks on behalf of God for you. That might be Jesus plus these things you have to do. And so it becomes Jesus plus your works that become a means of salvation. Jesus plus these other sacred writings that have come outside of the scope of Scripture that we hold high in almost level with Scripture. Anytime you see additional writing you have to read to understand Scripture, that's a false doctrine. That's probably a heretical teaching. And some of you, as you look back over your own faith development, you might have discovered you grew up in a Jesus plus kind of religion. And it's hard for you to shake those roots because you were taught Jesus plus something else. Let me remind you, the gospel is this. Jesus is enough. The fullness lies within Jesus, and everything that we need for spiritual life and health is found in a relationship with Him alone. In fact, I want you to look at verses 2 and 3 again of Colossians chapter 2, because Paul argues that for the fullness that we can find in Christ Jesus, in fact, in some of your Bibles, this might be headed the fullness in Christ, But he says this, my goal is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding and or they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. You look at that paragraph 
And I want you to notice the descriptions that Paul uses. Because the, the, the heretical teachers who had come into Colossae, some of their doctrine had to do with having secret knowledge or additional knowledge or having some additional experience with the celestial beings. And here's why Paul says the things he says. He says that in Christ you have full riches. You have complete understanding. There is no other knowledge you have to have. There is no secret knowledge that you need. It is Christ. And if there was any mystery, it actually is Christ. God's great mystery revealed to us that God loves us and sent his son. That's the great mystery. He says all treasure and wisdom and knowledge. And all of these terms come against these false teachers who are trying to offer simply or offer more than just simply Jesus. And Paul reminds them, look, it is Jesus. I know the message is simple. In fact, some of you have tripped over the simplicity of Christianity. And you want to make it more. And you feel like there's got to be more that I do because this whole Jesus thing just seems so simple. Yeah, that's kind of the point. Uh, and we want to mess it up. We're, we are, humans are the most crazy people. We take something simple and make it complex, don't we? We find ways to make it more difficult than it has to be. And when it comes to religion, we can't do that. There is a beautiful simplicity in the gospel of Christ that many people think, but that just sounds too easy. Well, Yes and no. I mean, yes, it is easy, but being rooted and established in Christ, that takes discipline. Uh, yielding to the work of the Spirit instead of giving into your flesh, that takes some discipline. But your salvation, yeah, it is that easy. It is that simple. It wasn't so simple for Jesus, right? He did all of that for us. But we want to instead add something to it. And so I know a lot of Christians who say, well, I, I feel like I should do more and earn God's favor. No, it won't work that way. Now, our faith needs that. In fact, Paul argues later that faith without works, actually it's James who argues later that faith without works is dead. And so there needs to be some expression of our faith through how we live our life, but that's not a Jesus plus philosophy. Everything we need is in Jesus. And Paul goes on to say this, I tell you this so that no one may deceive you with fine sounding arguments. See, here's the thing about false teaching today that, that's caught a lot of Christians off guard and taken them captive. A lot of it is fine-sounding. It sounds enough Christian for you to buy into it. And this is my greatest concern for the church today. If you don't know what you know, what, know what you believe, then when somebody comes with something that sounds so fine, but yet it is twisted, you can fall victim to that. Because a lot of the false teaching is not necessarily like, here's this guy who came from Neptune to earth, and he's saying that he's our savior. We should go worship him, and then we'll all get spaceships and return to this wonderful place and be together forever and ever, and it'll be happy rose, rose life. No, something like that, like that you go, you know what, that's just, that person's just insane. But false teaching doesn't work that way. It sounds enough to be true. But it's twisted. And he says, so I want you to be rooted in this so you can know, you can defend against these fine-sounding arguments. And then Paul calls them up, he challenges them in verse 5. Look what it says. For though I'm absent from you in body, I'm present with you in spirit. And he delights to see how disciplined you are and how firm your faith in Christ is. And then Paul goes on to describe how they can be disciplined and have this firm faith, which we want to look at. 
But first, look at verse 6. He says, so then, so for this reason, against all these false teachers, just as you have received Christ as Lord. Why did Paul use so many words to describe Jesus? Why did he just say, so then, because you've received Jesus? Why did he use Christ Jesus Lord? There's a very specific reason why he did. In fact, in most of Paul's writings, he uses those titles together frequently. Either Lord Jesus Christ or Christ Jesus Lord. He uses those. Now, for those of you who are kind of new to the faith, let me just let you know, Jesus isn't his first name in Christ, his last name. That's not how it works. He's not Jesus Lord Christ, or that's not his, like his full name. In his life here on earth, he was known as Jesus, son of Joseph. That's how he would have been identified. But his name Jesus means something. In fact, when the angel talked to Joseph, he said, you will call him Jesus. Why? For he will save his people from their sins. The name Jesus is the Greek form of the name Yeshua, which was his Aramaic or Hebrew name. That name means the Lord saves. And so when Paul's using the name Jesus, he's pointing back the church and the false teachers to the fact that he is the only one who saves. But then he also uses this word Christ. Christ is not his last name. All right, Christ is another title. And Christ is a Greek word that means the anointed one. Okay? All of the Jews knew one was coming like David who was anointed. They called him the Messiah. That was the Hebrew word. The Greek word is Christ. And it means the anointed one of God. And what Paul is saying is he is the one who saves, and he is the one and only anointed one from God. There will be no other way to find access to God, our Father, Creator, except through Christ, the anointed one. And then he says, Lord, which was a very common title used throughout the Greek empire and the Roman empire. It just simply means somebody who has authority over you. And as a slave, you would have called your master Lord because they were somebody that, to which you gave your complete allegiance. And we use the word, and Paul uses the word Lord to say he is the only one who deserves our allegiance. There is nothing else, there is nobody else spiritually that deserves our allegiance except Christ. And if any teacher comes in and teaches you something different than Christ, don't listen to them because there is no other Lord except the one who deserves our allegiance. And then he says, here's how it works. So here's here he is, it starts with Christ, it ends with Christ, but here's how we put it to work. And he begins to use these descriptive terms. The first one is to walk in Christ. Look at verse 6. Continue to live your lives in him, is the way the NIV translation. Now, some of you who have maybe the, the New American Standard or the ESV translation, it'll say to walk in Christ. It uses that word walk. Because walk and live are used interchangeably throughout Scripture. Because to the culture in which Jesus was writing, People understood that living is walking, walking is living. In other words, it's the everyday stuff. Christianity has become too compartmentalized, where it's I put on my Christian and I come to church and then I go home and I live in a different compartment. And what Paul is basically saying is, you have received Christ, now continue, that means every day, to live your lives in him. To walk in him is the word that's used. In fact, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, Paul puts it this way. Finally then, brothers, we ask 
and urge you in the Lord Jesus that as you have received from us how you ought to walk and to please God, just as you are doing, that you should do more and more. In other words, it's something that is everyday part of our life. Here's the thing. We don't just get saved and then do whatever we want. We get saved and that transforms our walk. In fact, I'll put it this way. Belief that does not impact behavior is useless. Okay? If you say you believe in Jesus, but that is not impacting your behavior, then that confession is useless. Because belief translates to behavior. And here's the truth. The way we behave shows what we really believe. Okay, you can kind of work those both ways. If our belief should influence our behavior, then the reverse is true. Your behavior currently demonstrates your belief. If you don't like your behavior, go back to the source. Look at what it is you're putting your faith in, what it is that you are truly believing. The command to live your lives or to walk in Christ implies that this is something that we indeed can actually do. And here's the question. What does your walk look like throughout the week? Does your walk give evidence that you're in Christ? In other words, when folks see you walking throughout your work day or your home life Monday through Saturday, do they see you walking in Jesus? You know, I've discovered that I walk like my siblings and my dad. We have a similar walk. You ever notice that in your own family? You kind of inherited your father's walk or your mom's walk. In fact, some of you know that you can see somebody off in a distance and you can tell who they are by the way they walk. If they're a friend of yours, it's like, oh, I know who that is. Before I even see them, I know who that is because of the way that they walk. My challenge is just like Paul's. When people look at you, can they go, oh, that's a Jesus follower. I can tell by the way they walk. And the Bible instructs us that there is a way that we're to walk. In fact, a John, who was a very close disciple of Jesus, said it this way in his letter, 1 John chapter 2, verse 4, whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commands. What is his command? What did Jesus break it down to? Love God with everything you are and love your neighbor, right? It doesn't believe, does not keep his commands is a liar. And the truth is not in him, but whoever keeps his word in him, truly the love of God is perfected. Now, here's the, here's the point. Listen to this. By this, we may know that we are in him. So how do we know we are in him? Whoever says that he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. You're going, Kelly, but I don't know that I can walk like Jesus. In your own strength, you can't. You can't. That's why Paul reminds them, look, just as you were saved, how did you get saved? By doing something? By, by acting a certain way? No, how did you get saved? By believing that Christ Jesus is the Son of God, and that through that belief and confession of our sin, we are saved. We call that faith. So you were saved by faith. So how do we still do this today? We live by grace and faith. What is grace? God's ability where we're not able and friends, I'll tell you, there are days when the walk is hard because it works against my own selfish nature. And it's like, well, I don't want to do that. I want to do what I want to do. I want to walk in my own way. How many of you would say that some of your greatest regrets were when you chose to walk your own way? 
We don't have a lot of regrets walking in the way Jesus would have us walk. But here's the deal. You can't do it in your own strength. That's why we need his grace each and every day. It's by faith. Then he says to be rooted in Christ. So walk in him and be rooted. I know this sounds weird. Well, how can I walk and be rooted at the same time? So don't get too hung up in Paul's word pictures here. Because we don't see a lot of walking trees unless you're watching one of the Lord of the Rings series, right? Or whatever. You don't see a lot of walking trees. But um, don't get hung up here. We're to walk the way Jesus would live his life, but we're also to be rooted in him. And this is the image that I think Paul's thinking back to the Old Testament. He remembers the words of Jeremiah, the prophet. Listen to the words. Jeremiah 17. They will be like a tree. This is those who trust in the Lord. They will be like a tree planted by the water that sends its roots out by the stream. It does not fear when the heat comes. Its leaves are always green. It has no worries in a year of drought and never fails to bear fruit. Now, that probably sounds a little bit familiar because I think David picked up on this. Actually, maybe Jeremiah picked up on David's psalm in Psalm chapter 1 that said this, Blessed is the one who does not walk, there's that word, does not live like the wicked, walk and step with the wicked, or stand in the way of sinners, or take a seat in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night. Why? That person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. Here's the thing I want you to hear today. You are rooted in something. Okay? You are rooted in, right now, you are rooted in something. You are building your life in something. And here's where it comes to real life. The fruit shows where the root grows. Okay? The fruit shows where the root grows. In other words, if we are planted in Jesus and we're trying to live by his grace under the help of the Holy Spirit, and we're planted in Him, then there's going to be evidence in our life and in our fruit that we're in Christ. In fact, Paul kind of calls it the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, all those things. When we are rooted in Christ, that's what comes out of us. But here's the thing. When people look at you, what are they seeing? What is the fruit they see, the evidence of your lips or your life? Because the fruit shows where the root grows. And if we as Christians need anything more that we're to do for Christ, it's to actually stay rooted in Him. Because then once we're rooted in Him, the fruit of our life will be pleasing to people around us. And we'll be able to withstand the difficulties that come our way in life. And people will see that and go, wow, that is admirable. I want that. So are your roots growing deeper in Christ? Because where the fruit, or where the, where the root grows, the fruit shows. And I want us to be people that have fruit that is fruit of righteousness. People go, wow, that's, I aspire to be somebody like that. How do I come to know Jesus? That's what my, my hope is personally and our hope for the church. So are your roots growing deeper in Christ? If not, here's some things that you can do to do that. And I don't have them on the screen for you, but it's not that hard. One, get involved in Christian fellowship. Some of you have friends that are not Christians. And while I think we should be in the world and influence our unchristian friends, we need fellowship. We need times when we're with people who can support us and encourage us. And we're launching life groups next week. 
And so if you're not in a fellowship group yet, you need to do this. Too many of us live lives isolated and alone, and we need each other. It's not very often you see one tree all by itself, right? What do you see? A forest of trees. And together they help bring strength to each other. We need to be rooted in Christ and gathered together. A forest of believers. So if you're not yet in a small group, you better sign up next week. Secondly, the way that we can stay rooted is in times of personal devotion. Do you spend time reading the Bible for yourself? Do you spend time praying about what you've just read? Do you spend time thinking about it and meditating upon the Word of God and how it should apply to your life? If not, it's time to start feeding yourself. You know the reason why the roots are so deep in the African shepherd's tree? Because it has to seek out nutrients, and it's not easy. You know what it does? It, it pushes down through the sand and then eventually down through some bedrock, and it's hard work. Why is it doing all of that? To find the life-giving nutrients it needs. I know it's not easy to get up in the morning and start your day with Bible reading and prayer, but if you want to be rooted, it takes that discipline to do that. And when you do, you grow to know him better and your roots sink deeper into knowing Jesus. Also having faith in difficult circumstances. Those same desert roots of that tree grow deep because there's nothing up on the surface. And sometimes life feels like that, doesn't it? Like a desert. But if we're in Christ, we can sink those roots down even in the hard times and find strength in him. Also through Christian ministry. Maybe some of you, your faith will grow deeper by starting to serve in some capacity in our church or in our community. To advance the mission of Christ. It stretches your faith. It makes your roots go a little bit deeper. And then finally, through this kind of stuff, corporate worship. But if this is all you're doing, is this. This is not enough to help you sink your roots deep into the truth of Christ Jesus. You've got to kind of do some of this work on your own. Then he says, be built up in Christ. To be built up. He moves from this idea of walking to, to this idea of, of a tree and being rooted to now a foundation to being built up in Christ. The Bible talks about a foundation we have to build our lives on. In fact, Jesus shares a parable. I don't have time to go to it, but basically he talks about a parable of the wise and foolish builder. And the bottom line, the man who builds his house upon the rock. Okay, some of you remember the Sunday school song. Okay? We're not going to break out and start singing it, but the wise man builds his house upon the rock. And he says that's the person who listens to the teaching and then does what it says who's rooted in it, not just hearing it, but does it, roots himself in it. This is the man whose foundation is solid, is firm. Paul speaks about a foundation as well in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Listen to the words he says. By the grace God has given me, I laid a foundation as a wise builder, and everyone else is building on it, but each one should build with care. For no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. So he's the foundation. If anyone builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, their work will be shown for what it is, because the day will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire, and the fire will test the quality of each person's work. If what has been built survives, the builder will receive a reward. If it is burned up, the builder will suffer loss, yet will be saved, even though only as one escaping through the flames. In other words, here's Paul's point. Jesus is our foundation, but what are you building your life with? The precious items, gold, precious stones, those are things that endure, that are along his mission and his purpose, that help you to grow rooted in Christ. But the, the hay, the straw, 
Those are things that are empty. So how do we build on Christ? Well, we just talked about a few of those. Getting involved in ministry, reading the Bible for yourself, getting involved in groups, those help you to build upon Jesus Christ. But he is the foundation upon which we stand. He says you got to build up, which means you need to have a plan. But it also means this. We're all a work in process, aren't we? Construction still underway here, all right? But he doesn't want us to live permanently in an unfinished construction zone. Right now at my house, we're kind of doing a fixer-upper process to our house, and we're kind of living in the midst of development. Maybe some of you have done that before, where it's like part of the house isn't done yet, but you're living in it. But when you start doing that for years, then you start settling with, well, that wall doesn't really need to be framed and finished. That doesn't really have to be done. I can live with that. And you start living and becoming comfortable with the unfinishedness of you. Don't do that as Christians. Don't come this side of salvation and just say, I'm okay with the mess. I can live with the sawdust and the dirt and the grime. And who needs a wall anyway? Now, it's one thing to recognize we're all under construction. It's another thing to recognize I don't have to change. No, you do. You build your life upon Christ. And then he says to be strengthened in the faith. Strengthened, established, standing on firm feet. So how do we become strong in our faith? The same way we become strong physically. A proper diet, exercise, which means you're taxing your muscles, you're doing things to build strength within you. And some of you remember what that was like when you chose to go on a diet and exercise. It wasn't easy, right? Everything within you said, eat the donut and sleep in. But you chose instead to get up, walk, exercise, eat better. And you became healthier. You strengthened your body. The same thing applies to our faith. In fact, 2 Timothy, Paul's writing to Timothy, who's a a pastor in in a church. And he says this, you then, my son, be strong. But how's he say it? In the grace that is in Christ Jesus. I've never really... Notice that verse until it lifted off the page to me when I, was, when I was doing a search based on the word strength. You know what this means? It, it basically means, Timothy, you're not going to be strong enough on your own. So you need the grace that comes from Jesus. Again, what is grace? His ability where I'm not able. His ability in my inability. And so become strong how? In the grace. That means every day, guess what I need? To be a better dad, to be a better husband, to be a better worker, to be a better pastor. I need his grace at work in me. I can't do it on my own. And then he ends it with saying, overflowing with thankfulness. Over, so these make sense, you know, being walking in Christ, rooted in Christ, built up in Christ, strengthened. Those all make great sense. Those are great words for becoming strong in your faith. Why does he add thankfulness? I'll tell you why. And there's something you can easily equate to our own life. When we are grateful for something, we don't tend to look outside for something else. We find contentment with what we have. When it comes to your faith in Jesus, when you can begin to be thankful for what God has given you, for what Christ has done for you, when you meditate and reflect on those things, then you're not quickly looking for something else to satisfy Because you've become content in all that Jesus is. 
I wish that we as Americans could get this. I know that we're not very content people. We're grateful for what we have until something better (laughs) comes out. Isn't that true? I was grateful for my iPhone 6 until the 10 came out. And then I look at my 6 and wonder if it's good enough. It still makes phone calls. Remember, that's why we bought these things in the first place, right? You talk to people on the phone with these. How many of you would love to go back to a flip phone? Didn't see too many hands. Maybe a few of you. The reality is we understand that there's this need for us to always have more and not to be grateful for what we have. When it comes to your Christian faith, you will continue to look for something, some kind of pizzazz, something else, some kind of Jesus plus if you're not content in being rooted in the simplicity of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So we're to overflow with thankfulness. Uh, it says in 1 Thessalonians 5.18, give thanks in all circumstances, even those bad ones, for this is God's will for you. So what's the bottom line? Here's the bottom line. A grounded, growing, grateful believer will not be led astray. If you want to stand in the truth of the gospel, then here's where it lies. The grounded, growing, grateful believer will not be led astray. I might add easily led astray. Everybody still has to watch their guard. But this is the key to guarding against the false teaching. So if you hear something or you see something and you're recognizing that doesn't sound right, that's a good thing because that means you are doing what Paul's been praying for and what I'm praying for is that you are rooted in Christ. So are you rooted in the truth that's only found in Christ? Do you know that truth enough to help you stand in the face of false teaching? It's all around you, friends. You have friends that question your belief, that want to add something to your belief. Do you have enough resolve within the truth of the gospel to stand against that? Let's pray. Lord, your truth, while it's beautifully simple, is something that our world continues to pull at to try to add to, to try to twist. But Lord, I pray that just like Paul prayed for that church at Colossa, that Lord, you'd help us to be rooted in you, in the truth of the gospel, so that we can tell when something comes across our path that isn't right, we will know. And we will stand disciplined and stand firm in the truth that we know is in you. And that's why we need your help. That's why we need fellowship. That's why we need the church. That's why we need to get into the word of God ourselves, that we might stand upon the truth. So help us, Jesus. Maybe there are those that have been very relaxed, and they know that their their roots are very shallow. And they feel the wind blowing. And it's threatening to topple their faith. Lord, help them this week to become further rooted in you and the truth that you are as you revealed to us in Scripture. And we pray this today in Jesus' name. Amen.